Hello there, you're listening to another episode of Philosophical Disquisitions. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting to Daniel Tigard. Daniel is a senior research associate in the Institute for the History and Ethics of Medicine at the Technical University of Munich. His current work addresses issues of moral responsibility in emerging technology. He is the author of several papers on moral distress and responsibility in medical ethics, as well as, more recently, papers on moral responsibility and autonomous systems. Our conversation centers around a couple of papers that Daniel has written about responsibility gaps and artificial intelligence and robotics. In particular, we focus on a paper he recently published in the journal Philosophy and Technology called There Is No Techno-Responsibility Gap, which takes a critical and skeptical perspective on some of the recent debate about responsibility gaps and autonomous systems. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, and if you like the podcast in general, please consider rating or reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting service, because that helps to spread the word. Okay, and without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to the conversation that I had with Daniel. Okay, so Daniel, we're going to talk today about responsibility gaps and artificial intelligence. Now, responsibility gaps have been a topic of considerable interest and debate in the field of robo-ethics and AI ethics. Indeed, if you know anything about debates in relation to, let's say, autonomous weapon systems or self-driving cars, you will know that one of the big questions in relation to their deployment is, who will be held responsible, if anyone, if they end up doing something harmful? For example, if an autonomous drone misses its target and kills a bunch of civilians, or a self-driving car kills a pedestrian. Now, you've recently written a couple of papers dealing with this question and suggesting that some of these concerns about responsibility gaps are misplaced. We're going to go through some of your arguments about this in this conversation. I was hoping maybe we could start, though, with a couple of conceptual questions just to get a lay of the land here. And the obvious opening question is, what is responsibility? Is quite a complex and multifaceted concept, at least in the philosophical literature, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I actually couldn't agree more. Um, so I think this thought really sits well with um, a lot of just common intuitions. Um, so whether we're talking about the variety of philosophical notions or just about our everyday practices, um, I think responsibility is extraordinarily complex, um, and it could mean a number of different things. Um, so depending upon the context, um, depending upon who or what we're referring to when we're seeking responsibility. So um, I guess I want to begin, as I do in the paper, by drawing a distinction between moral responsibility and legal notions like liability. And I want to set aside the latter. So um, I think the difference should be pretty widely accepted, but um, sometimes there's I guess, a bit of crossover in the literature, which um, seems to cause some confusion, especially when we start talking about notions like accountability, which could be construed as significant for both the moral and legal domains. So I guess I just want to be clear here that my interest is in the nature of moral responsibility and what it looks like when we apply those notions, um, namely to emerging technologies. Um, and so then just within the moral domain, I also want to distinguish between agency and responsibility. So um, I guess one common way to understand this relationship um, 
which makes sense, but I, I don't fully subscribe to it, um, is to say that responsibility is a subset of moral agency. So this would mean that um, in order to be held morally responsible, you must first be a moral agent. Um, and then there would be cases where one is a moral agent but isn't necessarily responsible, um, like um, Bernard Williams in the case of the lorry driver, for example. We can talk about that later on, I suppose. Um, so if that's right, if moral responsibility is a subset of moral agency, the question is just, well, what exactly is a moral agent? And, and then you get into some of the traditional notions like um, uh, we have to have a, a knowledge condition. Um, you know, you have to know what you are doing in order to be a moral agent. And often there's a control condition. That is, you have to have um, some sufficient degree of control over your actions in order to be considered a moral agent. Um, and I think a lot of these um, conditions boil down to something like consciousness at the end of the day. Um, many people conclude that um, emerging technological entities, uh, AI systems, because they're not conscious, um, they, they, they can't be moral agents. And so they can't be morally responsible. Um, but the, the, the turn that I want to make here is that um, the focus on the rigid conditions like knowledge and control, um, which help us with agency, um, isn't always helpful when it comes to responsibility. Um, I, I think we need to look much more directly at the nature of responsibility itself. Um, because, of, of, of course, I want to say, if we're tied to robust conditions like knowledge and control and especially consciousness, then we're going to get really hung up on um, uh, whether or not we should consider um, uh, technological entities uh, moral agents. So. The turn that I make in, in this paper um, very much relies upon P.F. Strassen and the more contemporary movement in moral responsibility. So we see a lot of prominent thinkers developing the idea that the key to moral responsibility is our relationships. It's the practices that we engage in with each other. It's how we naturally respond to, um, to others and, and, and to ourselves. I think if we take this idea seriously, um, if we see moral responsibility as a practice and less of a property, um, then we start to make some sense of what it might mean to hold technological entities morally responsible. Um, so this is kind of the general framework um, that I get at in a, in a related paper um, forthcoming in um, the Cambridge Quarterly of Healthcare Ethics, um, which, which very much coincides with the philosophy and technology paper here. Um, if I may, just one final distinction. I think this should get closer at your question about the nature of responsibility. I want to distinguish two camps, which I've already kind of alluded to. Um, so first, there are those who think responsibility is a matter of being responsible. So again, fulfilling some set of conditions like knowledge and control. Um, and this looks pretty objective normally. Um, the question for for those concerned with our natural uh, responses, our, our, our practices, um, things like the moral sentiments, the question is what role do those play in figuring out moral responsibility? Um, so let's say, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm on a subway and someone deliberately steps on my toe and it appears they had full knowledge and full control of what they were doing. There wasn't a jostle in the subway car or anything. Um, I, th I think it's pretty likely I'm, I'm going to be terribly upset. I, I, I'll have what Strassen referred to as a reactive attitude. I'll, I'll be perhaps angry, um, resentful. Um, and 
on this view, on, on this notion of being responsible, what, what I refer to as the property view, um, our responses are just indications that someone already fulfills those conditions, that they just are morally responsible. Um, but I think this looks too much like the search for moral agency, and it's not exactly an answer to the question of whether or not, or in what ways, someone is morally responsible. So to conclude, um, the second view, there is those who think responsibility is a matter of holding others responsible and holding ourselves responsible, not necessarily a matter of strictly being. So on this view, which I find much more intuitive, responsibility, I think of it as a process. Um, or maybe um, you can think of it as a social practice. When, someone's, uh, when someone is responsible, it's because they're being held to a standard or an expectation, whatever those may be. Um, I think without those interactions, uh, sure, someone might know what they're doing, they might have full control over the situation, but those conditions alone, the knowledge and the control and whatnot, that doesn't tell us that someone is morally responsible or in what ways they're morally responsible. I think in order to understand that, which mu what's much more fundamental um, is the ways that we interact with each other. It's, it's all about our relationships and the expectations that we maintain. Okay, so there's these two competing conceptions of responsibility. One that views it as a, a property of agency, of human agent, of, hu of moral agency, as long as you satisfy certain conditions, knowledge condition or control condition, you are responsible. And then you're contrasting that with the alternative view, which is a social relational kind of concept of responsibility, that responsibility exactly. is a process that arises in our social relationships. And I mean, I, I tend to agree with that idea, but then I suppose, how would you deal with, some people raise an objection to this scenario is, you know, can, can a person be responsible if they don't live or exist within a society? You know, if I if I'm the only resident on a deserted island, and I obviously this depends on what your view of moral wrong is, but it, let's say I burn down all the trees on the island and destroy the environment, am I responsible in that context? If I'm the only person in the society, I don't have any other relationships with other moral agents to factor into my choices over my actions. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I do think our our um, expectations and the standards that we expect uh, uh, that we set for ourselves are 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 also just as relevant here. I think we hold ourselves to certain standards, and those have moral significance too. I I, I certainly um, think um, yeah the ways that we choose to live um, uh, and how we expect ourselves to behave um, that that we can impose those on ourselves. I think just as easily, maybe even. Uh, uh, um, in ways that are easier than imposing a, our expectations and standards upon others. So, so yeah, if I if, if I'm the only person left um, on a, on an island and I do something that I know is just not okay, um, I do think it sounds plausible to say I can hold myself responsible for that. That that I that I'm still responsible for what happened um, because of the standards and expectations that I hold for myself. Yeah, I guess it's because you're a person that exists through time, and so you're in a kind of relationship with yourself over time and whatever your moral standards or expectations are. Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on then. I mean, you adopt a particular conceptual framework for understanding this social model of responsibility in your paper on techno-responsibility gaps, and you break responsibility down into three distinct subtypes or forms. 
attributability, answerability, and accountability. Uh, maybe we could just kind of run through these and explain what they are, starting with this notion of attributability. What does it mean to attribute responsibility to someone? Yeah, um, so I should say I'm very much indebted here to my philosophical upbringing. So um, my PhD supervisor um, was David Shoemaker, who developed um, this, um, the view that he, he calls a, a tripartite view of responsibility, where we have the three different sorts. And this very much um, builds upon the work of his advisor, Gary Watson. So actually, um, if we can, let's start with just um, a really brief description of Watson's two faces and then add in the third. Um, so, so in Watson's essay, he writes about a colleague um, who thinks more responsibility, just, just as a whole, more responsibility is, is, is nonsense. But then um, it seems um, that colleague is still somehow committed to responsibility when it appears that his books have been stolen. And he says, um, well, that was a shoddy thing to do. So you might think um, that person's being inconsistent, but for Watson, um, this is just a sign that, that responsibility is incredibly complex um, and, and, and indeed that it comes apart into several um, faces, as it were. So, so yeah, first off, let's, let's talk about attributability. So this is the idea, uh, this is where we're attributing some action or attitude to the individual in question. So um, Shoemaker expands upon this by saying, um, we're evaluating someone's character. Um, it's the things they value. Um, it's what they stand for, so, so to speak. Um, what is someone really, truly committed to? Um, we, we make evaluative judgments of those things. And so notice here that this, this form of responsibility, it might just be a matter of maintaining a belief, um, perhaps a, a, an entirely idle belief about someone. Um, for example, I can admire someone. I can hate someone. Um, we're evaluating who they are and not necessarily what they've done. Of course, I, I think we can draw a lot of connections between actions, forming character. But the basic point is just that the attributability sort of responsibility, this goes really, really deep. Um, some authors talk about it in terms of the deep self or the real self. Um, it, it goes much deeper than, than just um, referring to their immediate action or, or attitude that they seem to display. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, I think, attributability in a, in a crude nutshell. Okay, so, so that's attrib attributability. What about this other notion of accountability? What does that mean in practice? Right, yeah. So accountability, um, again, thinking back to um, Watson's two faces, um, Beyond just maintaining an idle belief about someone and, and, and their character, um, we're doing something much more um, when we're holding someone to account, um, namely for what they've done. We, we, we seem to be calling them out. We're communicating our response um, to that person. I, I think here we're, we're, we're doing something about the situation much more actively than when we just think to ourselves um, that this action or attitude represents their character. So um, um, as an example, I think it helps to think of this sort in terms of punishment. So when we're angry at someone, we often want to express ourselves. Um, and now that might be for a couple different reasons. Um, we, we, we might want to let others know <laughs> how we feel, maybe because we just think they deserve it. 
and this is what they get, right? So um, a very um, dessert-based account of responsibility here where we just want to, um, we want to inflict pain um, upon those who have um, wronged us. It might also be because maybe we want them to learn. We want to improve the future. And so these are more, uh, this is more of a consequential justification. So, so in, in, in law, of course, we see um, dessert-based accounts and, and consequential-based accounts. Um, and on the consequence side, it might have very little, if anything, to do with dessert. We might just want to um, you know, rehabilitate individuals by punishing them in some way. And so that might be just a matter, in, in moral terms, it might just be a matter of expressing our resentment. Um, or, or, or anger. I mean, this second notion or aspect of responsibility—that's probably the sense of responsibility that many people have in mind when they when they think about the concept, right? This idea of holding people to account in formal tribunals of responsibility—that's that's the thing that tends to attract a lot of attention in the philosophical debate and also, I guess, the legal policy debate, which is obviously distinctive, and you want to keep those two things separate. But it, it seems to be the one that attracts the most energy and um, attention. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, th I think accountability really is, um, seems to be the most most commonly used um, um, kind of buzzword when it comes to responsibility. Uh, and that might be for both the moral and legal domains. Um, but I guess for that matter, it, it's also what, what can cause a lot of confusion because we we still might not know exactly what we mean when we're saying we're holding others to account. Um, but yeah, just, just in moral terms, um, I think the point that Watson and Shoemaker wanted to get across was that th this is something much more um, active and um, uh, much more communicative than when we just attribute um, something to, to someone's character. And what about the last aspect of responsibility then, the, the answerability? What, what does that mean and how would, what would it look like in practice? Right, yeah. So Shoemaker did a lot to develop and refine um, both of, of, of Watson's two faces, and, and then he also added what he sees as an entirely um, distinct third type. So aside from evaluating someone's character, and aside from, from any efforts, um, any more active um, behaviors of um, sanctioning or invoking punishment, often we just want answers. Um, and so for Shoemaker, what we're doing when we demand answers, we are evaluating their judgment. We want to understand uh, others' reasons. Um, we we want to get at why it is they behaved in some way rather than another. And so so for Shoemaker, and, and I do think this makes sense, um, this, is, this is a separate form, this is a separate practice that we can engage in with others. We're not necessarily evaluating who they are deep down. And we're not necessarily punishing them. We're just asking why. We're, we're trying to, to, to understand the situation and their motivations. Okay, so just to get a lay of the land so far in this conversation, the responsibility is it's a complex concept, and you want to draw a distinction between an agency-centric version of responsibility, where responsibility is something that people are, it's a kind of being, versus this social relational model of responsibility, where it's a process or an activity that emerges from our social relationships and you're drawing a distinction between three forms of responsibility in this social relational model attributability which is about evaluating character accountability which is about 
holding people to account and punishing them in some for- formal setting, oftentimes, and then answerability, which is like seeking reasons, explanations of the moral motivations or moral reasons for action. That's a lot of distinctions, but are there other ones that might be important to understand in debates about responsibility? I've come across lots of complicated taxonomies of responsibility concepts in my time. I guess one distinction that people talk about a lot is a distinction between forward-looking and backward-looking forms of responsibility. Is that in any way relevant to this conversation about machine responsibility, do you think? I think it's certainly relevant. Um, In fact, this is one way, um, as I was saying earlier, with respect to the reasons we might engage in accountability practices, um, that might be because we think the target of our practice deserves it, or it might be because um, we we want to make the world a better place, um, um, or, or a worse place. Just the point being that uh, we might have consequences in mind rather than desert. And when it comes to responsibility for technological systems, for um, um, artificial intelligence and, and sophisticated machine learning systems, what seems to be happening in some of the literature is um, too much focus on the dessert-based notions of responsibility. So, for example, Robert Sparrow, um, his um, popular um, essay, Killer Robots, he, he pretty much writes off the possibility of holding machines to account because of the thought that we can't punish machines. It just won't make sense. And the reasons he gives for that are, are that, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense to say that a machine can suffer. Um, and so because they can't suffer, we can't punish them. It doesn't make sense to hold them responsible. But but I think there, there there's actually quite an easy solution if we just turn to the more consequential-based accounts. We don't have to think of anything um, about what the, the machine is going to experience. You know, there, 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 there's no suffering necessary for us to engage in punishment practices um, towards um, AI systems. We, we can be looking to improve the future. And, and for that matter, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, maybe not perfect sense, but it certainly makes more sense to engage in accountability practices if we're looking into the future and how to improve it, um, rather than looking at whether or not the subject of our practices is capable of deserving any kind of treatment. Okay, I mean, that's kind of an introduction to this concept of responsibility, and we had some hints at how it affects this debate around responsibility gaps and autonomous systems or artificial intelligence systems. Maybe we could move into looking at that debate in a bit more detail. And there's a lot that has been written about this in the past decade or so, I guess actually going back 15, 16 years to some of the original papers about it. Maybe we could initially try and figure out when people refer to a responsibility gap, what does that actually mean in practice when they say that there's a responsibility gap arising as a result of the deployment of autonomous machines? Yeah, so actually before we even get into the technology-based gaps, the way I like to think about just responsibility gaps very generally, um, as I do in this paper, it looks to me like we might face a gap um, when we see something harmful, experience something harmful, or or maybe beneficial. We shouldn't write off um, praise as a form of responsibility. Um, um, practice. 
we respond naturally in a way that would ascribe um, some sort of moral credit to the source. But um, in the case of a gap, um, our response doesn't have an appropriate target, um, namely because um, the source of our responses, um, it might not be there. Um, it might be unknown entirely. It might not exist. It might not be a fitting target of our responses. So let's take an example. Um, and this, this comes from a conversation with my friend and colleague, Nate Stout, who wrote about cases of blame where we're really not sure of the source. Um, we're not sure of who or what it is that we're blaming. So let's take a case where a guy is walking down the street and steps in some gum. And naturally, he's upset about this. Um, lo and behold, he sees the city sweeper up ahead, and he goes to have a word. Well, the, the, the city sweeper says, look, I just swept this block. Um, you know, the, this, this, this sort of thing happens. This is life, right? So it seems like if the person who stepped in gum buys that story and, and they're truly upset about this case, it looks like um, their response doesn't have a fitting target. It doesn't have anyone, at least anyone that is known or, or um, anyone that would make sense for them to turn their attention to. So I definitely want to say that these things happen, you know, gaps in, in responsibility, at least of the common mundane sort may well exist but in terms of the technology based sort can um, i can i just say can i interrupt briefly yeah, just sure. on this initial example of so this is a responsibility gap that arises within our relationships between humans between human moral agents so the yeah. idea here is that there is there is presumably somebody who is responsible for putting the gum on the pavement yeah i guess, yeah. I guess maybe they did it inadvertently and so there might be a further question to be asked about whether they are morally responsible for what they did. But let's say they did it deliberately or recklessly, and so there's a reason to think that they are morally accountable or responsible for it, but we just can't find them, we can't locate them, so we, we just can't find the target for our responsibility practice in this instance. And it seems like that's a reasonably common occurrence in human life, that there's lots of things that niggle at us and annoy us, possibly the consequence of other people's actions, but it's just practically impossible or not worth the effort to try and find the target for responsibility. Yeah. Now, one thing that emerges from this, and I, even within that story that you told about the guy going up to the street sweeper and maybe looking to them as a responsible agent, is there a sense in which the human mind abhors a moral vacuum here. That, like, if there isn't a responsible agent, we just try to rush to find one to fill in the gap in responsibility. Is that a, a common kind of feature of the social practice of responsibility? I think that's definitely a plausible story here. I think um, because relying on our psychological responses is is really what does a lot of the work in grounding this picture of responsibility. Um, yeah, I, I think there will be a lot of cases where it kind of goes awry, where where um, we might be too quick to mete out blame. Um, we might be looking for blameworthy sources um, when maybe we shouldn't be. Um, uh, so yeah, this might just be a feature of our complex psychology. Yeah, I mean, it's probably... A reason I'm asking that is linked to something I wrote, but we might come back to that later on. Um, yeah. I, I interrupted you 
as you're about to move on to explain how the responsibility gaps arise in relation to machines. So how, how does that happen? Right, right. So yeah. Um, so one of the um, one of the clearest accounts that I've I've come across, um, and this is one of the targets of my attention in this paper, is um, a paper by Sebastian Kohler, Neil Ruffley, and Hanno Sauer. So they have this paper called Technologically Blurred Accountability. And they say something um, like responsibility gaps have two key features. Um, first off, it seems fitting to hold some person to account, but there isn't anyone who it's fitting to hold to account. Um, or there might be some potential candidate, but the extent to which we should hold that candidate to account just doesn't match our initial intuition. Um, and so the idea of technology causing those sorts of situations is just that um, it, it might be very unclear um, to trace back anything like um, knowledge of the situation or, or control of the situation to the designers um, or, or the users even. Um, we, we might not know who, if, if anyone, is really um, you know, at, at the end of the, the chain here. And so what do we do? Um, uh, do we engage in responsibility practices with um, the, the, the technological system itself? Um, and that's where I think a lot of authors, um, uh, Andreas Matias and Robert Sparrow, um, will, will write that off pretty quickly and say that's just not going to make sense. Um, but what I like about the Kohler roughly sour paper, um, they refer to the gap as a normative mismatch. So they say that basically our theories should be able to locate responsibility. Our practices should be able to locate responsibility. But in cases where it looks like we've been harmed as a result of technology, we can't do that anymore. Okay, so I mean, why is that such a big deal then? Um, like, like, this might relate to something that comes up later in, in the paper. But like, what's the what's the normative cost or concern of that mismatch arising? Yeah, so I think a couple ways of spelling this out. Um, at best, it seems like the the prospect of facing a gap. Um, I guess just to go back to our psychological responses, it, it seems troubling. It, it, it seems um, that's going to bother us. And so, so I actually really like how you frame this problem in, in your paper on the retribution gap. Um, so yeah, the, the, the idea that the increasing robotization of, our, of, of the world around us um, might increase you know, the blame that we try to mete out to uh, robots um, or even their associates. Um, but if, if, if they aren't appropriate targets, the robots or their associates, it looks like that natural psychological desire to meet out blame is going to be unfulfilled. And I, I think that's just going to be psychologically um, you know, unsettling. So that's, that's, I think, best case scenario. Um, I think at worst, what we might see and, and what we're maybe already seeing is individuals, um, corporations, exploiting the possibility of a gap in responsibility. Um, it seems like it might be all too easy um, when something bad happens for someone to throw their hands up and say, look, it's not our fault. Um, you know, these things happen. Um, so also the Kohler roughly sour line about the normative mismatch. I think it's worth taking really seriously. Um, if none of our theories and none of our practices are good enough, 
this might cause us to really reconsider the nature of responsibility, which, which to me is, is central to morality, to our ideas of right and wrong. If we lose sight of responsibility, um, this, is, this is a problem, both practically um, and theoretically. One of the things you point out in the paper is that among the groups of scholars who have written about this that have identified the responsibility gap as a problem, there are seemingly two schools of thought. There are you know, techno-pessimists and techno-optimists. What's the difference between those two schools of thought? So the pessimists, these are the people who think the gap is real and it cannot be bridged. It's so serious that we should at least question, um, if not altogether stop, developing and, and deploying AI systems, especially when it comes to really, really sensitive human-centered domains like healthcare, warfare. Um, I, I really like your paper also about political decision-making. It seems that when we outsource these, I guess I want to say, um, in, I don't want to say inherently, but these importantly human activities, um, there are going to be trade-offs. And, and for the pessimists, I think the trade-offs just aren't worth it. We would be better off, um, let's say, with a few more deaths as a result of um, vehicles on the road than with not knowing who's responsible for fewer deaths. So the pessimists, I think, are those who want to call off the research and development of smart technologies in these sensitive domains. The optimists, on the other hand, I think these are the people who think something like, okay, um, even if there are trade-offs, it is worth it. Um, the gains in efficiency, um, in overall just management of life, um, maybe it will be good for us to outsource a lot of these um, you know, dirty, dull, dangerous activities and, and jobs, of course. Um, maybe that will improve things so much that the trade-off is, is, is worth it, even when there are cases where we're not sure who's responsible. So notice, though, that even for the optimists, I think the thought is still that the gap is real, just like the pessimists say, but here they just think it can be bridged. It's not so much of a problem. Well, I mean, so it seems like maybe there's, there's two things that they think. that One is that the, the benefits of the technology outweigh the cost in terms of the lack of responsibility or the emergence of the responsibility gaps. But then they, they may also think that there are fixes to the gap, that there's ways of, of bridging the gap or plugging the gap, whichever metaphor you prefer. So what are some examples of this kind of way of solving the responsibility gap problem that are out there in, in the debate so far? So in the paper, I, I distinguish a couple different um, optimist solutions, a couple different lines that um, optimists generally could take. Um, I start by noting that some will want to um, bridge the gap by um, identifying individuals that can help us. And so maybe it's, um, maybe it's a matter of um, having military commanders um, claim responsibility for um, you know, unintended consequences of autonomous weapon systems. Maybe it's a matter of assuring that an individual doctor um, will take responsibility for um, any unforeseen harms that they'll 
um, encounter with their use of um, you know AI diagnostic systems or or whatnot. Um, so the idea is just to keep individuals in the loop and not completely outsource the decisions that are being made. Um, so that's one line that I think an optimist could take. Um, another um, is to identify collections of individuals. Instead of keeping individuals in the loop, we could keep um, very large groups of individuals, perhaps. It may be, whether it's a corporation um, or, or society as a whole, um, we might try to keep them in the loop um, in terms of their desire to proceed with this sort of research and, and technology in, in social life. So especially in democracies where presumably we have some part of the decision-making, I think it will be easy to identify um, a very large collection. But I guess I say easy to identify, but then we run into a major problem that gets discussed a lot in the literature, namely um, the problem of collective responsibility. So it might just look like, sure, we can, we can, uh, um, we can say some collection is responsible, but who uh, among that collection should really bear the cost? Um, should it be everyone equally, or maybe just the the more powerful decision makers within that? Um, the problem of collective responsibility is a mess. So I think those who want to take the collection route with bridging the responsibility gap have other problems to deal with. Um, and then a problem for both the individual line and the collective line is that it looks like for these thinkers, they're looking to someone else. They're looking to something else to hold morally responsible other than the immediate cause of the harm. And that might not be very satisfying for our immediate intuitions um, when we are um, you know, harmed by something right here, right now. Maybe, maybe it's not going to satisfy us completely to, to have some other individual or some collection um, be held responsible when, when it might not be so clear um, that, that, that we want that. Um, the last line that I identify um, in terms of the techno-optimist um, bridges over the gap, um, I call it the human-machine composite. So this is a bit like um, Sven Nyholm refers to human-robot collaborations in some of his work. Um, I think the idea is also just that um, because our agency seems to be extended to devices and technologies and even just objects, um, we can think of the extended mind thesis of Clark and Chalmers here. Um, it seems we might have a composite view of moral responsibility. That is, um, we we can hold um, human machines together um, responsible. I, I do think this is a, a really fascinating angle because I, it does seem to me that technologies do play a role in 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 how we live our lives and and the actions that we're able to undertake. Um, but I do still think that the techno-pessimists can, can jump in here and they can still say, well, look, there are still cases where we have a purely technological entity um, and those are still going to be extremely difficult to deal with if we want to tie it to um, a human machine composite. Okay, I mean, so there's kind of three strategies here you see. One is, uh, I guess, focusing on hierarchical systems of command and controls so the notion that there are specific individuals that sit atop a, a command hierarchy that we might say are responsible like a a company ceo who created a self-driving car or a, a the head of an engineering team or the head of a military organization 
so there's these individuals you can identify who are responsible for the actions of machines. Then you could say maybe collections of individuals, corporations, society as a whole, in some sense, is responsible for the regulatory environment in which these things get created or the social environment in which these things get created. Uh, neither of those solutions seems wholly satisfying. I guess the first one doesn't seem satisfying sometimes because the relationship between the individual that you're identifying and the actual calls can be quite diffuse or it doesn't seem fair or appropriate to hold them morally accountable for mm. what what happened. Or uh, And it does seem as well, by the way, that accountability is, is the central feature of a lot of these discussions and the focus that creeps back in here. Collections of individuals, that's, that's problematic because I guess it diffuses responsibility. You get the problem of many hands it's not clear what would happen. Would you single out some of them for responsibility or do you just kind of dilute responsibility across the entire group? And does that, is that effectively the same as saying that there isn't really any responsibility? Is, is there any practical difference between those things? The human collaborate machine collaborations approach as well, while interesting seems to run into a problem again, particularly if we think about responsibility as accountability, which is that what does that mean in practice? It means that we hold the human part of the, collaboration responsible right i mean it or it we we punish the human part of it we don't necessarily punish the machine or that that seems kind of odd or non-intuitive to people yeah. right so, so i mean the, the those are the kinds of options out there and this as well by the way is one area where i guess the distinction between the legal debate and the moral debate is important because some of those solutions can be more attractive from, let's say, a legal perspective. If if, we, exactly. if all we care about is liability and making sure that somebody pays compensation for an injury, let's say, caused by a machine, then some of those solutions can seem kind of plausible. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and this is where I think, I mean, it seems... Uh, law has a long way to go. I think there's a lot of work to be done and, and a lot of work being done um, to to adjust our legal practices to emerging technological entities. But I guess um, in, in, in terms of the law, I'm, I'm optimistic that those changes, those adjustments can be made. And, and, and ultimately, I'm, I'm optimistic that those already are being made in the moral domain, which is, I guess, where we should um, head next. Yeah, okay, so because in your paper you don't agree really with either the kind of wholly pessimistic or wholly optimistic school of thought. You think there are, maybe there isn't really this techno responsibility gap that people have been talking about, at least if we have this more sophisticated or nuanced understanding of responsibility. So maybe you could just set out your argument as to why you're less convinced that the responsibility gap problem is as severe or as described in the literature so far? Yeah, so I guess I want to begin just by saying that I think the threat is something to take seriously. Um, but there are, I think, a few ways that we might be able to dispel it. Um, so let's recall the normative mismatch. Um, the the framing given by Kohler, Ruffley, and Sauer was that um, we have cases where it seems fitting to hold some person to account, um, but there isn't anyone who it seems fitting to hold to account. So, so just with those two features, um, I think we could we could have a couple of angles to dispel this. First off, we could dispel the notion that 
it seems fitting to hold someone to account because in many cases it just might not be. Um, we might just um, realize that, you know what, that this is just life. This is just how things are. Um, it, it, it's, it's not the case that anyone or anything should be held responsible. Um, but then, of course, there are ways um, to dispel the second, namely just with those op optimistic solutions of finding someone to fill that gap. Um, you know, if, if the idea is that there isn't anyone, um, well, maybe that's wrong. Maybe maybe there there already is someone, or or that we can um, use our existing mechanisms, our existing moral practices, um, to really figure it out. I, I, I guess I also want to um, qualify um, one of the lines I take in this paper. Um, while I do appreciate the framing that Kohler, Roughly, and Sauer give in terms of the normative mismatch. Um, I do find their account a little bit too narrow. And so this is one of the um, key sections of the paper where I, I basically want to expand the problem before working to resolve it. Because it seems to me that they do focus too much on accountability only, um, which is a bit peculiar to me because they do acknowledge um, the notion of pluralism in moral responsibility. They, they acknowledge Watson and Shoemaker and they say, sure, um, responsibility might be a matter of answerability, attributability, accountability, and so on, um, but we're gonna focus on accountability. And they proceed to, to repair that gap, um, namely by referring to it as um, you know, pragmatic difficulties or epistemic difficulties. Maybe we're just not in a position to know the ultimate source of responsibility. But it seems to me they've left a couple of um, uh, concepts unfulfilled, namely the answerability and attributability. So part of my purpose in the paper is to show that the problem might be bigger than they're taking it to be. And yet, if we look to our existing practices and how adaptable they are, how flexible we interact with a diverse range of individuals, um, I do think we can make sense of responsibility from all of those angles, or from at least from some of those angles, which um, should be enough to repair the gap. So, um, yeah. So I suppose um, I could go into a bit more about what I think about answerability and attributability for um, technological systems. Yeah. So I mean, how, how? So we might have a problem with accountability, but we we mightn't have as, as big a problem with answerability and attributability. That that was my sort of gloss on, on your argument in the in the paper. How could we have answerability and attributability when it comes to autonomous systems or AI? Yeah, so um, there's a key section that I call demanding answers and understanding values. And this is an explicit reference to um, the practice of answerability and attributability. So I want to add to Kohler, Roughly, and Sauer's normative mismatch and say that um, you know, responsibility, even as they acknowledge, it's, it's, it's much more than that. So, um, so I add that there might be cases where it seems fitting to demand answers or maybe even to attribute the conduct to some underlying set of values or commitments, um, but also where it appears there isn't a fitting candidate from whom answers can be demanded um, or to whom the conduct can be attributed. So let's start with answerability in terms of technological systems. Um, for Matthias, Andreas Matthias, who I think really set off this debate about the responsibility gap, the key problem is that because 
of technologies using, for example, deep neural networks, um, very often we humans simply cannot understand why some output was given. Um, why was some decision or behavior chosen rather than another? Um, and that's exactly what we're seeking when we engage in answerability practices. We want the relevant reasons why this rather than something else. So to address this, I certainly don't want to say um, AI can act upon reasons. Uh, there, there's some really fascinating literature on this notion, um, but I don't want to commit myself to that necessarily. I don't think I need to either. Um, I do want to say something like the demand for answers can still happen. What I have in mind here is just, for example, we can do everything we can to determine that, um, for example, the nature of the data that AI systems are operating under, um, that we're well aware of that. What were they trained with? What have they learned since their initial training? Um, are there any new processes, um, new algorithmic um, processes that have been acquired since their initial training and deployment? Um, I, I, I think they may well remain black boxes. I, I certainly don't have a solution to the black box problem. Um, but I do think our efforts at answerability are, are going to exactly this problem. I think just the attempt to discern reasons um, is a practice that we can engage in. And I, have, I, I also want to admit that it's not going to work all the time. Um, even if AI systems remain black boxes, we can still engage in those practices. And that will still be useful information. If we come out empty-handed, that can still inform our other responsibility practices, for example, accountability. Maybe that just shows us that we want to um, increase explainability. We, maybe we do want to engage in more efforts to open the black box. Um, if we come out empty-handed after our answer, answerability practices, um, that's certainly not the end of the story to be told here. Um, so yeah, answerability I think may or may not work, but either way, um, the effort itself doesn't necessarily show that there's a gap here. Um, it, in fact, I think um, it can help us with the other practices like accountability. Uh, okay, what about um, attributability then with, with AI systems? Right, yeah, so, um, so let's recall um, answerability, or sorry. <laughs> right, so let's recall that attributability, this is a process um, of evaluating one's character, um, what one values or what they're committed to. And so this looks like it might be extremely difficult um, for us to apply to machines that don't really care. They don't really value anything. Um, so I think it might be mostly, if not purely symbolic, when we attribute some behavior to the uh, you know, quote unquote, character of a machine. I, I do think we do that. I do think we engage in those behaviors, like with our pets, um, uh, and even with our technological systems. Um, um, you know, um, who among us who have um, taught classes um, and and assigned an essay had a had a student say something to us like, um, you know, my laptop, it just freezes every time I try to print. You know, my printer. You know, unlike all these other printers in the world, 
is is so unique and it doesn't like me and it doesn't want to print you know I, I, I you know it's it's symbolic it's metaphorical of course but I do still think we we engage in these ways of thinking um, so even if it's purely symbolic um, even if it's pure nonsense um, the line I want to take there is just that it's probably going to be unlikely that we find it fitting to attribute the conduct anywhere in the first place. So that is going back to the normative mismatch. We can't even affirm that first condition. So sure, we can't find anyone to attribute the conduct to, but it's not fitting. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, maybe it's more than that. Um, I, I, I don't want to take the purely symbolic line here because I actually do think um, if we take seriously the idea that technology can reflect values, that values can be somehow embedded in technology, um, I think that's actually an intuitive idea. Um, um, it seems that technology can at least reflect our values, whether or not those values are actually embedded in the technology, uh, I, I can't say, but certainly it will make some tasks easier than others. Um, um, so we see the work of Badia Friedman, um, Peter Paul Verbeek. Um, I think these are ideas worth taking seriously. And so what I wanna say here with respect to attributability for technological systems is that when we engage in those processes um, of say value sensitive design or of discerning values in our existing devices, I do think in some sense, we are trying to evaluate the underlying purposes um, and, and, and yeah, maybe even something like the character of, of these things that inhabit our world. Okay. So, I mean, if I can state your position and then maybe introduce some objections to it, because you've anticipated or preempted maybe a couple of points I would make, but I'd still like a little bit of clarity on them. So, so the gist of the argument that you're making here is that, okay, lots of people are talking about these moral responsibility gaps for machines, but they have too narrow a conception or framing of the question or issue of responsibility. When we take this broader social relational conception of responsibility, where we've got these three faces or elements of responsibility, accountability, answerability, and attributability, then we see that not only could there be additional responsibility gaps, gaps in, in both accountability, answerability, and attributability, but we also see the potential for one gap to be complemented by uh, the app or no gap in the in the other forms of responsibility. So there could be a gap in accountability, but no gap in answerability and attributability. And what you're saying is that even if it seems absurd, let's say to punish a machine, which lots of people believe, it isn't absurd to talk about seeking reasons for the actions of a machine. Not that they are acting on reasons, but kind of the answerability question for machines, and it's also not absurd to attribute things to the character of a machine in some sense. Is, is that a fair kind of brief summary of your position? I like that summary a lot. Um, I actually, um, it, it allows me to emphasize this notion of ambivalence, um, to use another concept invoked by Shoemaker in his work on marginal um, agency. So the idea is just that when we're ambivalent in our responses to individuals, whether it's other human beings um, or to ourselves, 
and I even want to include AI systems, unlike Watson and Shoemaker and Strassen. What this means is that we are inclined to hold them responsible in some ways, but maybe not in others. Um, so I, I do think it's often easy for some theorists to focus primarily on one way, maybe one way that we aren't able to hold someone or something responsible, um, and then conclude from there that we must be facing a gap. But I, I just think if we take seriously the variety of ways that we interact with others, it just seems to me that we begin to see that, sure, there, there will be cases where we're ambivalent. Um, but the very fact that we're ambivalent, I think, shows that we do engage in some form of responsibility interaction, even with individuals that are at the far reaches of, of our moral thinking. Um, okay, so I here's one concern about that, which is that on this kind of social relational model of responsibility, these different forms of responsibility are performing a kind of moral function within our social relationships, right? And the versions of answerability and attributability that you think we could apply to machines, as you accept, can seem a little bit metaphorical or symbolic or quite a loose or a stretch from their original kind of human to human application. So, like, one concern I have about this idea of answerability, let's say, you su you suggest that, you know, we're not saying that the machine is acting for reasons, even though there's a whole debate about that, but set it to the side and accept that they don't act for reasons. So what are we doing then? We're just really kind of seeking an explanation for why the machine did what it did. Mm -hmm. But is seeking an explanation really performing the same kind of normative function as seeking a moral reason for action? I mean... An obvious analogy here is that we can seek explanations for all kinds of things, like a, a natural disaster that has harmful consequences for humanity, like um, you know the causes of a, an earthquake or a global pandemic, like we're currently seeing. Although a pandemic might be a viral pandemic might be a little bit different, because you might argue that it's some kind of agency, I guess, for, for the virus, and maybe that's actually more similar to AI. But yeah, you're, you're you're providing an explanation for what's happening, and that doesn't seem quite the same thing as giving a looking for reasons for action. I think the same thing seems to apply when we look at attributing things to the the essence or the character of a machine. It's, you're not making a judgment about the moral character of of the technology itself. You're just saying something about some of the intrinsic features or attributes of. The machine. So, for example, if I'm walking in a a valley one day and a a boulder falls down and crushes my leg, I can attribute the crushing of my leg to the fact that the boulder is heavy. I have an explanation for it, and there's some feature, intrinsic feature of the boulder that caused the particular kind of harm. But I'm not really saying anything there about responsibility, am I? Yeah, I, th I think this is a really powerful line of objection. Um, I, I guess with it, I should um, I should preface that I am I'm certainly deviating from these contemporary pluralistic models of moral responsibility. Um, the the ones given um, from the Strassonian line of thought, um, Watson and Shoemaker. Um, 
I'm describing the ones I'm describing definitely deviate from our most common and, and probably our most robust, robust and effective sorts of moral responsibility. Um, so yeah, I guess to some extent, I do recognize that the concepts we're most accustomed to deploying are most suitable for interactions with our fellow human beings, um, you know, natural moral agents. Um, a couple of lines of response that I do think are worth pursuing. The first is that even if the responsibility practices we might employ in our interactions with AI and, and machine learning systems are much looser. It does seem to me that these reactions are quite normal. This is just how we behave. Even when we're interacting with um, non-biological creatures um, that appear to cause us harm or, or, or that might maybe even benefit us. Um, let me give a couple of examples, if I may. Um, and the first is one that... Um, I give in the um, Cambridge Quarterly paper. And this is um, one of my favorite stories um, about technology and our interactions um, and our inclinations to mete out blame. So the, the story is Nightscope K5, a security, um, a shopping mall security robot um, in Stanford. I think it was 2016. And what I really like about this story is an interview that took place with the mother of a boy who was hit by Nightscope K5. The mother says, the robot did not stop at all. As, as, as if she was expecting this machine to stop and apologize for knocking over her son. Um, I think these sorts of responses are just natural, they're normal. Um, the second example, because I do like to think about how we might engage in praise-like behaviors with respect to technology, this is an example a little closer to home. So my, my father-in-law has one of these um, automated lawnmowers. Um, they even named it. Um, it's Snoopy. And it's wonderful. It, it takes care of their lawn. They don't have to worry about it. What I like about this is how they use this machine. Normally, at least when I was growing up, um, when we would have guests over, for example, I would mow the lawn you know, maybe the day before guests arrive. But my parents-in-law, they will turn this machine on as guests are arriving. Why is that? Well, because I honestly think they admire it. They admire Snoopy. And they want their fellow, they want their guests to share in the admiration of this machine. And, and just for the record, I love the fact that they admire this machine. It seems to me that they're truly proud of a device. Um, so I think we do engage in these sorts of interactions, and it fascinates me. Um, so while I agree that the responsibility concepts we deploy are in our interactions with technology, they're, they're not like the interactions and responsibility concepts we deploy in our natural interactions with our fellow human beings, um, we might even say that they're just bizarre and, 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 and comical in some cases. But I think even despite that, um, I do want to take them seriously, so to speak, um, by recognizing that these responses, um, e even to artificially intelligent beings, are, our responses are still natural. And for that matter, our responses, I think, can be quite useful in um, figuring out how to manage our, our relationships with new technological environments. 
Um, the second line of response here, I want to pick up on your question of whether or not it will serve the same moral function. So this actually gets at one of the key points that I want to get across with, um, with a couple of these papers. So numerous authors recently, um, uh, Alan and Wallach, um, Floridi and Sanders, they've developed this notion of artificial moral agency. And what seems to be at the heart of this notion, I think, um, is usually something like, well, advanced AI systems, maybe even simple ones, they execute behaviors that appear to have moral significance. Even if we don't call those entities proper agents, which, which we probably shouldn't, we can still say they have something like functional agency. So what I want to get at, especially with, um, um, sorry, let me, um, so what I want to get at is that along with understanding technological entities as possessing something like functional agency, we can also see our interactions with them as a functional set of responsibility practices. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with saying these practices aren't exactly like our interactions with humans. Um, and they probably shouldn't be, actually. I, I, I don't want to say we, we should deploy the same sorts of practices with technology that we do with each other. I think that would probably cause more problems than it, than it addresses. But I do still, still think that we're often inclined to engage with technology in ways that invoke responsibility. And, and, and those responses carry a great deal of moral significance. Um, does it carry the same moral function? Maybe not, but it serves some moral function. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. And I tend to agree that this is a natural way of interacting with machines. And it, it uh, performs a kind of moral function that is maybe on a spectrum with or related to the moral function that responsibility concepts perform in, in human relationships. I do think that there is another objection lurking here, however, to that line of thinking. And this actually gets at one big concern that people have about AI is that it's somehow parasitic upon our natural responses to human agents. And this is a, a feature of AI that can be exploited by people who want to avoid responsibility. So the over-anthropomorphization of your lawnmower robot is a problem because it tricks you into relating to it in a particular way that then undermines human accountability and human responsibility more generally. Any thoughts on that kind of concern that people have? This is a great line of response um, because I certainly would want to guard against um, our inclinations to hold um, technology itself responsible, especially in cases where it seems some human should remain on the hook. So um, I, I guess with my work here, I, I do want to walk um, what might be a, a, at times a rather fine line between saying, yeah, um, we, we can engage in some kind of responsibility practice um, with technology around us, um, but we also don't want to let others off the hook in cases where they still should be on the hook. So that's a really fine line I'm going to have to walk here. Yeah, I mean, I think one way of maybe addressing this is to get back at the different kind of concepts of responsibility that, you know, it's fine to deploy some forms of responsibility concept in our relationships with machines, but not others. And the fact that a machine might, might be able to attribute something to a machine doesn't mean that 
a human can avoid accountability for a decision that they made in relation to the design or deployment of that machine. You know, so th- there might be a, a workaround here if we employ this more sophisticated kind of social relational model of responsibility. Right. Absolutely, yeah. I definitely wouldn't want to say this is a, a, a zero-sum game. Um, I think we should um, use all the resources at our disposal. Yeah, if it turns out that we can retain some very coherent notion of accountability with respect to the human associates involved in our human technology relationships, then absolutely we need to keep those practices in place and and, and likely reinforce them. Okay, and then just like one last question here, and we've touched upon this a couple of times, but I want to draw it out, which is that your interpretation of the responsibility gap problem is as this normative mismatch where we're looking for a fitting or appropriate target of responsibility and we can't find one. And so one of the conclusions you reach is that, well, if something happens and there is no fitting target of responsibility, then in a sense, there is no responsibility gap, right? Because responsibility gap is more like that original case of the chewing gum on the road where there is some responsible agent, but we just can't find them. What could be happening here with mach- our relationship with machines is that there is just no responsible agent. There's no nobody to find, no fitting target of responsibility. So there's no no gap in practice. I I agree with that as a as saying that well, if that is true, then there is no responsibility gap. But in a paper that I wrote, I think that this is actually a problem, partly linked back to one of the points made earlier in this conversation, which is that even in those cases, there might be a strong kind of psychological desire to blame somebody or something. So to maybe engage in almost like scapegoating, scape, scapegoating practices, and that could be an issue and something to be worried about. But also then in your paper, when you're focusing on that issue of the, the normative mismatch and you're saying that's not a, as big a deal if there is no fitting target of responsibility. One of the things you do suggest is that, well, even in those cases, there might be a legitimate role to be played for forward-looking or perspective forms of responsibility. Maybe you could explain how you think that works and how it kind of avoids this issue. So to to, to begin with the first part of what you're saying, I, I really think that a large part of the problem here surrounding technology responsibility gaps is just an effect of our psychological makeup. Um, um, even, even technology gaps aside, um, you know, why is it that we might be inclined to uh, uh, curse the heavens or, or, or whatever when it seems things just aren't going our way? Um, I, I do think this is all natural and normal, um, but I guess Part of the line I want to take um, w- with this um, with this paper is just that I'm I'm just not convinced that just because we wish for there to be someone or something to hold responsible, I, I don't think that alone indicates that it truly is fitting to hold someone or something responsible. So I, I think what we might need in many cases is just to reconsider our inclinations to seek out blameworthy parties, or or at least recognize that. Um, you know, it's okay to feel wronged, but maybe that's, maybe that's just life and it's not indicative of some major chasm in our moral universe. Um, so yeah, um, the other, um, the other point that you were making with respect to, um, forward looking 
um, responsibility. I do think this can help to address those who um, do focus only on the backward-looking dessert-based accounts. As I was saying earlier, um, people like Robert Sparrow um, and, and even the Kohler Roughly and Sour paper, um, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why not look to something more forward-looking? Why not um, try to educate um, the systems that we inhabit the world with? Um, I, I do think there's an argument to be made here, um, which um, I, I got at a little bit in a recent paper um, co-written with my colleagues in Aachen recently. There's an argument to be made, I think, for some technological systems that we inhabit the world with to be made more responsive to our responsibility practices, if only as a means of teaching them, of, of um, you know, imposing a kind of reinforcement learning. And so again, this is consequence-based uh, consequence um, um, respo responsibility practices to some extent. We, um, we don't want to punish a machine because we think it somehow deserves it because yeah, that, that's that's weird. <laughs> but maybe we do want to invoke accountability practices because we think they can they can learn something from our um, from our interactions. The, the, the last angle that I didn't mention too much here, and actually I didn't dwell on it too much in the in the in the paper. Sometimes I'm a bit more skeptical um, about responsibility generally, um, it, namely just that. Even with respect to human-to-human -human interactions, responsibility, I think it's a really messy enterprise. We get it wrong a lot. Um, we hold each other responsible in ways that maybe we shouldn't. Um, we, we often hold each other responsible to the extent that we shouldn't. Um, maybe this is a result of not fully understanding the capacities of our target. Um, maybe it's a misunderstanding of the situation or, or a misconstrual of the relationships that we're engaged in, but we still do it. <laughs> we, we, we naturally mete out blame and praise, and we make sense of these interactions. And that's just speaking of our interactions with an extremely diverse kind of subject, namely our fellow human beings. So what's to say, who's to say that we, we can't make those same sorts of adaptations to new sorts of um, entities that we interact with in the world? I, I guess at the end of the day, um, I, I do favor a more optimistic outlook. Um, it's just that I, I, I don't buy that there's a gap in the first place that needs to be filled. I think our interactions with biological and non-biological creatures are incredibly diverse and flexible. And that, morally speaking, um, perhaps also legally, we're we're figuring it out how, how to live with highly sophisticated technologies. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I like that last point as well. And I tend to agree that even though we place a lot of weight and importance on responsibility in human social life, it also has a very dark side, and we misfire and misapply the concept of responsibility in our relationships too. And we need to factor that into our conversation about machines and how they integrate into our societies. I think that's right. Yeah. And I think we learn a lot, even from the misfires with our fellow humans and um, uh, those, the, the things we interact with that aren't human. I think we learn a lot from our interactions, even in cases of misfires. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole school of thought as well in philosophy that's very critical of our moral responsibility practices and worries sure. about the way in which it uh, works. 
which we won't get into in this conversation because I think it's reached its natural concluding point. So I'd like to just thank you for joining me for this discussion. And I will urge people as well to check out the paper you've written on There Is No Techno Responsibility Gap. That's the name of the paper we've been discussing today, but also the other papers that you've been writing on machines and responsibility. John, thanks so much. It's, it's really a pleasure to chat with you. I'm happy to be here.